I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Gravity Falls, Season 1, Part 1. Here begins the first of four pod. Here begins the first of four podcasts. Sorry. <laughs> Here begins the first of four podcasts about one of the best animated TV shows we have ever seen. If you've never had the pleasure, you can listen to this one without worrying about secrets or spoilers. And, you know, just get a taste for it and decide if it's your thing or not. We will be talking solely about the first six episodes out of 40. And by we, I mean our guests for this week. From our series of shows on the works of Guillermo del Toro, which is appropriate because that director loves him some Gravity Falls, it's Lauren Grieve. Hello. You know, I think after this, I'm just going to stare at a wall for a while and rethink everything. (laughs) (laughs) From Sequentially Yours, it is husband and wife duo, Karu Nagisa. Hello there. And Debbie Morse. <laughs> and from the new century multiverse, which in countless ways includes Gravity Falls in its inspirations, it's Theo Lee. Hello. Hello. Series creator Alex Hirsch utilized the following elevator pitch for this Twin Peaks meets The Simpsons. And that really does convey elegantly the cocktail that's at work here. Twin 12-year-olds Dipper and Mabel go to stay for the summer with their great-uncle Stan. This old scam artist lives in the strange Oregon town of Gravity Falls where he runs The Mystery Shack, a museum of dodgy, fake attractions and its weirdly successful gift shop from which Stan extracts coinage from rube tourists. As events unfold, it transpires that there are a ton of mysteries to be solved in this town, with the paranormal, the extraterrestrial, the arcane, the eldritch, screwball sci-fi, twisty-turny, half-failed experiments, and other unexplained phenomena buried and hidden away in the Pacific Northwestern woods. But that town is also full of fun and memorable and downright lovable townspeople. This is a Disney show, and every time I watch even one episode, I am left marvelling at how it even exists. How did this get made? How did this creative team get as much freedom as they did? And how they got to tell this complete two-season story with a deeply satisfying ending. It's up there with Avatar for me, and it shares that same level of care and detail and love and inventiveness. But it's also kind of baby's first horror, and I'm continuously flummoxed by how many potentially really scary scenarios are invoked within the show that are somehow balanced perfectly by just the right amount of humorous touches. Not so much that they undermine the creepiness, but enough that very young kids will never get too nervous. 
And as a result, in combination with a continuously sparky and energetic script, this is a smart kids show that will make smart adults laugh out loud. It's even better balanced in this regard than our beloved Futurama, which is sort of the opposite. This comes from a very carefully considered series of decisions, and listening to all the commentaries makes it clear that everything was carefully managed by the writers to ensure the right message was conveyed. Not in service to some kind of sanitized Disney brand loyalty, so much as what each reaction from characters would communicate to the viewer. The writers are in service to the characters, the story is in service to the characters, and Disney kind of comes third in this particular um, loyalty scheme. Loyalty scheme? That's, that's, sounds like a pyramid <laughs> scheme to me. To say, now you're talking my language. Pyramids are I, I was just going to say, a pyramid, perhaps a pyramid scheme, but that might be revealing something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Whenever we find something with poor management of tone, Sharon and I are quick to point that out. Gravity Falls makes it clear that hitting and maintaining that tone requires supreme focus, but they make everything feel so easy somehow. And if you need to get a hold of this, bear the following in mind. The Blu-ray set with 40 commentaries and a ton of extra features is region locked, and the DVD set that has all the same features and presentation has a really sharp, colourful picture and is amazingly region-free. I recommend that to everyone. I also bought every episode digitally in HD via Amazon Video several years ago for a total of £40. At the moment, it's also available on Disney+. And we are delaying the release of this podcast series until April of 2020, when that service should be available in the region outside of North America, also known as The World. So we currently don't know if it's on there everywhere else or if you're listening in a few years from now whether it's still on there but at least the dvd set if you can find it will work everywhere and looks and sounds lovely <clears throat> alex hirsch was born in 1985 and att- alex hirsch was born in 1985 and attended the california institute of arts thus making all internet complaints about that institution null and void in my head he spent the summer of 2006 in oregon working on a project for Leica which was unfortunately cancelled, but inadvertently inspired him into Gravity Falls. Season 1 began airing in June 2012, and the Season 2 finale ended in February 2016. And tonight we are talking about the first six episodes. Tourist Trapped, The Legend of Gobblewonka, Headhunters, The Hand That Rocks the Mabel, The Inconveniencing, and Dipper vs. Manliness. And we're going to go episode by episode, and for each one, I'll be asking my guests to tell me what they like, concepts that they love, details that they caught, especially hidden ones, because there's lots, gags that grab them, first appearances of characters for this first ten or so, and how they are developing as we go. Remember to hold off on spoilers beyond each episode, you folks. My guests, you're on like the honor system to not start talking. You can you can imply, you can hint, you can go, but like nothing that will make people's experience of it less fantastic. And of course, any moment that caught them emotionally. We don't need to define 
entirely any main character there's plenty of time for them to evolve over the next 40 22 minute episodes and while i would have loved to start a brand new podcast channel covering one episode at a time this month of gravity falls is probably the best use of our abilities as school of movies so let us begin with the pilot tourist trapped it's hard to believe it's been six years since I began studying the strange and wondrous secrets of Gravity Falls, Oregon. What is all this? Unfortunately, my suspicions have been confirmed. I'm being watched. I must hide this book before he finds it. Remember, in Gravity Falls, there is no one you can trust. No one you can trust. Hello! Ah! <laughs> what you reading? Some nerd thing? Uh, uh, it's nothing. Oh, oh it's nothing! <laughs> what? Are you actually not gonna show me? Uh, let's go somewhere private. Like the, the first thing we get is uh, like before even the intro sequence is the kind of you know like uh, the the it's an action sequence on a golf cart and they're trying to escape from some unseen massive monster which we get to see later in the episode and it's one of those like sort of freeze frame. I suppose you're wondering how we got into this situation <laughs> yeah. type things. So go for it. It's definitely one of the best in media res introductions I've seen in a very long time, partially because it does give you sort of everything you need. And a lot of it is done visually mm-hmm. like you could uh, the way that uh, Dipper and Mabel move, even when they're being thrown around by the carts, their banter back and forth, etc., is really solid and you know, there's not a wasted line in there. Mm. The backstory is given in, what, 30 seconds? Mm-hmm. Why are we here? We're here because of this. Okay, let's go to the more interesting stuff. And it, I, I think it it works because of that. Like, this episode reminds me of a show that I watched a lot that I don't know if it's specifically listed as a um, an inspiration, but it has to be, is The X-Files. Yeah. And every episode of that well, starts yeah. with a cold open. And this, for all the world, especially after watching, like, the first few episodes, feels like a Disney version of the X-Files, like, for kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really, you know, this came out when I was in um, grad school, because you said 2012, yeah? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would have been in the middle of graduate school. So I caught, I believe, the first season all at once and then had to wait for the rest of it to come out, which yeah, was Yeah, season two oh, took a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't get back and finish season two until well after it had come out, mm. thanks to, you know, grad school. But <laughs> I really appreciated that the the sequencing felt very much like uh, like the X-Files, and it had a nice ensemble cast that all had really good opportunities, and it's really planting that flag even on this very first episode because mm-hmm. it starts in Medius Race and then goes back to try to explain things. I like the X-Files parallel as well, and I think for me the uh, the, the fact that this central relationship is a brother and sister, and I always felt that the central relationship in the X-Files was very sibling-like mm-hmm. and um, that that kind of had that flavour to it, which was instantly intriguing and interesting. Yeah, you've got the, uh, um, got the constant conflict between the uh, guy who's obsessed with uh, conspiracy theories and then the, uh, the sceptic, his, mm. uh, his other yeah. half. Albeit that Mabel is sceptical in a slightly different way. Or people are saying <laughs> yeah. Mulder is my other half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're specifically referring to the X Files up until season seven, which is when 
all the shippers got their way and some yeah. people were unhappy. But that's another podcast that will probably never air because nobody would ever want me to just gush about the X-Files for 20 <laughs> hours. There's a, a link to another major clear and obvious Gravity Falls. Uh, I think actually Alex Hirsch has said this this was a, an inspiration. Uh, a show from the 90s called Eerie Indiana, which uh, a lot of folks will not have heard of, especially the younger. Uh, it's uh, clearly got pitched by Joe Dante as The X-Files meets Twin Peaks for kids. Mm. And uh-huh. it's like a, a kid named Marshall moves to a creepy town and he's like, oh, this is weird. And like there's a, a different uh, unusual, like he, he makes a little friend and uh, there's like a, a, a different unusual uh, case every week. And he collects like this giant uh, like file of evidence that his town is 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 this uh, like a sort of center of weirdness for America, and like he's very much the prototype Dipper, and uh, I, I can I completely understand why Alex Hirsch uh, and his sister would have been exactly the right age uh, for this to have been a, a major influence. My name is Marshall Teller. Not long ago, I was living in New Jersey, just across the river from New York City. It was crowded, polluted, and full of crime. I loved it. But my parents wanted a better life for my sister and me. So we moved to a place so wholesome, so squeaky clean, you could only find it on TV. Unfortunately, nothing could be further from the truth. Sure, my new hometown looks normal enough, but look again. What's wrong with this picture? The American dream come true, right? Wrong. Nobody believes me. But this is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. Thank you, little paper boy. Eerie Indian. My home sweet home. Still don't believe me? You will. Also, Fringe came out four years before this, which is another, like, in that same wheelhouse that has a very similar feel to in fact yeah they were gonna um there's a a thing about having six fingers in this and uh, that ended up being infringed so they had to kind of backtrack on that a little bit and uh, and sort of make it like less pronounced but it still turns up there's one major character who has six fingers and it's it's kind of a like because as people were watching this there was like a big puzzle sort of unfolding and the fans were really on top of it and, uh, you know, because if you give them all of this meat to chew on and all of these details to, to sift through, they will, you know, comb the Internet looking for data on this stuff. And, uh, and so there was like loads of like great overarching mysteries for them to speculate on. Yeah. When they said what? in the commentary about, oh, there were, there were people finding things that we didn't even know we'd put in there. Mm. And I'm thinking, Alex, meet social media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is what they do. It made them seem like even better writers because they're so subtle, they don't even know they put in there. Exactly, yeah. And those ciphers and the ARGs and stuff that were going on really helped because of how intermittent the shows ended up being released, mm. especially in the in the second half. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of hitting generalities on this first episode, but still, mm-hmm. it's kind of important. It gave people uh, and, stuff to talk about. Yeah, and goodness, I, you know... I'm going to probably talk about the ARGs and ciphers and stuff at some point when mm. we're when we're allowed to because that is so my jam. But oh, absolutely, we we spent ev- the end of every episode uh, breaking codes. Oh, yeah. nice! Yeah. Every the first time around. I love it. 
And there's so many bits of even just backwards dialogue, even in the opening theme, the opening credits has a blurb at the end of it that's backwards dialogue that even that ends up being important in some cases. What does it say? It's like it's the, it's at the end of the end intro sequence, which is, by the way, one of the best, most fun, physic- like expressive, like this is what this show is about intro sequences I've ever seen. For these first 10 episodes, it's actually just very simple. If I remember correctly, it just says, Welcome to Gravity Falls. It's Alex Hirsch saying it, whispering it, and then it's reversed and backmasked. So let's reverse that. A lot of the time, whenever you hear reverse dialogue, it's just somebody saying reverse dialogue backwards. And it's like in the form of a magic spell, which I find very funny, but then some of it ends up being really necessary and useful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or uh, my favorite use of uh, reverse dialogue is for when the point of view character doesn't understand the language. That's one of my favorites. I love that. Oh, uh, <laughs> so like the whole way through Tiger's Eye then. Yes! You should listen to this Tiger's Eye thing, Alex. I think you'd love it. Oh, it's real good. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, like, let's introduce folks to Dipper Pines, the, uh, the brother of this, uh, who goes through this whole first episode wearing this weird beige hat, which doesn't at all stick around. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, basically he gets his, his, uh, his classic um, blue and white uh, pine tree hat at the very, very end. And then suddenly it's like, Dipper's here. They don't hate being here in Gravity Falls, but there's kind of that, that sort of, oh, this guy's a, uh, like a, a weird old, old creep. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, this is a sort of a rickety old shack. And, you know, are we going to have fun here? And um, before we talk about Mabel, I guess, like Dipper's the one who's... Uh, more sort of reserved and and um, I, I was watching Invader Zim the other uh, week and I was like wow Dib is kind of an unlikable version of Dipper yeah like what if, what if Dipper spent too much time on Twitter and YouTube mm. yeah. is Dib that's Dib right there yeah and I do still kind of you know kind of like Dib but like uh, uh, Invader Zim is a a different kettle of fish in terms of that that is absolute chaos from the mind of Jonah Vasquez, uh, rather than something uh, much softer with literally more rounded corners than uh, Invader Zim, which is just all spikes. Uh, but yeah, no, so effectively, Dipper is the uh, uh, a guy who will uh, leap on any mystery and uh, start trying to get to the bottom of it in a kind of you know, ob- obsessive way, but in an extremely entertaining way. Like, it's, we're immediately clear as, you know, kids watching him. Dipper thrives on tenacity, but also always wants to keep his dignity. And those two things can be utilised for comedy about obsession and embarrassment. You know, as time goes on, you, you start to really feel for these characters. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of mileage gotten from basically... Uh, uh, making fun of Dipper and he's he's kind of a self-insert character because uh, Dipper and Mabel are based on Alex Hirsch and his sister Ariel I'm going to end up talking an awful lot about Dipper in about five episodes so uh, yeah there's a there's a real specific thing that I am the person that needs to talk about in a few episodes that I don't even know if anybody else is aware of so that'll be fun but honestly I, I love Dipper Dipper reminds me a lot of my own proclivities when i was much younger Mm. uh just you know totally fascinated by 
mysterious phenomena and supernatural things. And, and I mean, I would, Dipper would watch the X Files if oh, totally. yeah. he was a different age. So, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Did, did I, same way. When I was younger, I was very much Dipper in many, many ways. Um, always looking for how is this bigger than it really is, mm. and that's kind of. As much as Mabel tends to be the more outlandish one, Dipper is the one who is looking for a very specific kind of magic in everything, and that magic is that this is bigger, this is more important than what we are led to believe, Mm. and he wants it to be that way, and fortunately for him, he's correct that it is, in fact, that way. And his energy, of course, powers the fans, who themselves want everything to be bigger and more significant. Like uh, it, uh, since Joe Rowling gave us uh, Harry Potter, everything's been this giant detective story, and everyone's been thinking, "Oh my God, there's so much hidden in there." And then you know we get big reveals at the end of uh, whole trilogies that it's like, "Oh, there was no plan, like at all." <laughs> yeah, almost as if sometimes creative types make things up as they go along. <laughs> uh-huh. But in this case, in Gravity Falls, they um. Uh, Patrick Willem said this about Marvel. They're very good at improvising. Like they, uh, they will take what's uh, already occurred in their storylines and go, yes, and. And they'll bring in and incorporate things. Like in an early episode, uh, Mabel has a jumper with a llama on it. And uh, then late, uh, ver- near the very end, that llama jumper becomes incredibly significant. So you could be forgiven for watching it and going, oh, my God, the planning on this thing. But as it transpires throughout the uh, commentaries, no, it's it's just like they rewatch their own material and they look, find little pieces and go, well, that would actually work if we worked that in here and made it feel like it was always there. And I'll give you a clue. Joe Rowling did that shit too, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a great writer's trick to make things feel very, like you can have like an overall general plan. And then if you just spice it up with just like exporting from earlier on and like you can add significance along the way and then careful like mapping of stuff out will allow you to just sort of set these waypoints. And it's even easier if you've got a visual medium because you just sort of like put them there in the background. It doesn't hurt that that also means that you don't end up like, uh, what was it, the Game of Thrones guys who were complaining that people figured out what they were doing before they got a chance to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't figure out a plan that doesn't exist. Well, in that case, that was second-guessing the audience and actually seemingly deciding to go against expectation just for the hell of it, which, yeah. uh, um, thankfully, they, they never seem to do in... in uh, um, uh, Gravity Falls that I can think of in a way that is dissatisfying. That's that's one thing I can sort of promise them moving in. Like there, there won't be any moment that that most of you will be like, ah, well that stunk. Like the, it, pretty much everything feels like carefully crafted and inspired. I can't think of a single like really weak episode. Yeah. Clearly, Alex Hirsch and you know his creative team love this show Mm. they love what they're creating and they love these characters and i think that is nearly always that's the difference Mm. and it shows do you love what you're making or are you just doing it as a cynical cash grab Mm. speaking of cynicism uh in the fight fighters episode (laughs) uh, on the commentary uh uh, alex uh, said that whenever they do a reference to something they always tend to go back at least 10 years that way they know if people are still talking about something 10 years 
on, it's not going to become a dated reference. If you talk about something that happened a while back, then it's like, well, that will be an evergreen reference. Uh, this first episode, actually, now that I think about it, is kind of preying more on something kind of more recently trendy. Because uh, Dipper becomes extremely suspicious of his sister's brand new boyfriend, who's this shady guy who hangs around in the woods and, you know, seems like kind yeah. of pale and shifty. And it's like, it's hot. I'm not even sure that Twilight was finished at this point in the cinema yet. Well, when was Breaking Dawn Part 2 with the creep baby thing? I don't know. I've wiped that entire section of history from my memory. <laughs> 2011. So, yeah, basically this would have been the tail end, like being made at the tail end of the Twilight Saga. So it's almost like, I mean, it, it was like references to sparkling vampires will now feel dated. It's amazing. Grunkle Stan said I was being paranoid, but according to this book, Gravity Falls has this secret dark side. Whoa, shut up. And get this, after a certain point, the pages just stop. Like the guy who was writing it mysteriously disappeared. Who's that? Well, time to spill the beans. Rope. Beans. This girl's got a date. Woo woo! <laughs> Let me get this straight. In the half hour I was gone, you already found a boyfriend? What can I say? I guess I'm just irresistible. Oh, coming! What you reading there, Slick? Oh, I was just catching up on, uh, Gold Chains for Old Men magazine? That's a good issue. Hey, family! Say hello to my new boyfriend! Sup? Hey. How's it hanging? We met at the cemetery. He's really deep. Oh, little muscle there. That's, what a surprise. So, what's your name? Uh, Normal. Man! He means Norman. Are you bleeding, Norman? It's jam. <gasps> I love jam! Look at this! So, you want to go gold hands or whatever? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Don't wait up! There was something about Norman that wasn't right. I decided to consult the journal. Known for their pale skin and bad attitudes, these creatures are often mistaken for... Teenagers, beware, Gravity Falls is nefarious. <gasps> uh, but as it turns out, it's not a vampire or even the zombie that uh, uh, Dipper suspected it to be. It is, in yeah. fact... A bunch of gnomes stacked on top of one another <laughs> in a hoodie. Which makes the reference absolutely <laughs> fine. Except, yeah. I like Dipper's response was, wow, I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> also, when, the, look when, when he saw the hand come off, my first thought was, I wonder if he's related to Vincent Adultman. Nice. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> and they look like David the gnome. They do. Which yes. is a thing from the 90s that I watched. Absolutely they do. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And also when, uh, and here's a little detail, when uh, Dipper is, uh, is trying to convince Mabel, your boyfriend's a zombie, he pulls open the uh, journal, haven't even mentioned the journal yet, he pulls open his journal to the page he thinks is for zombies, but it's for gnomes. And then she goes, ah, at this gnome, but he's dead on at that point. Yeah. And then he has to readjust the <laughs> yeah. page. The journal is a book that Dipper finds in a secret place, like cabinet in the woods. And oh, the cabinet. Cabinet in the woods. <laughs> yes. Cabinet in the woods, yes. <laughs> and it has a number three on it and a mm -hmm. hand with six fingers. Mm -hmm. And basically, it seems to be somebody's journal um, describing the strange phenomena that they found in Gravity Falls. Mm. It's basic, it, it is definitely imagination fodder for Dipper, 
who um, is looking for something to make this place a little bit more exciting and interesting. Especially, he's you could tell he's a little bit disappointed by the idea of the mystery shack, that he knows that this is fake. And now he has this book that suggests that maybe there are things out there that aren't fake. Mm. And as a result, they end up being, this book ends up being his guide. And the writer ends up becoming a mentor figure from, you know, a distance to him throughout the series. Uh, One of the things I love about it, the first thing that it says in there is trust no one. And immediately after he reads this, the one person he can trust, his sister Mabel, shows up on screen. Nice. Like behind him. Trust no one, and then boom, here's the one person he can trust. And that uh, journal's coming from a flawed narrator who has sibling problems. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Mabel won't, she's irrepressible. She won't be denied. She would not let her brother not trust her. Like, Mabel is one of those people who, like, sometimes they annoy you, but you still can't help but love them because they're just yeah. so excitable. Yeah, and more so because they're twins. They, this is a sibling relationship that is unlike a lot of other ones. Yeah. Dipper's not annoyed by Mabel at any point in time. Well, he is, but not significantly so. He doesn't, you know, it isn't my little sister who is always irritating me or my big sister who I'm always following around. Mm. It's his twin sister who he, without question, has this really deep connection to. They are very much the same person in different aspects, Mm. and they recognize this. Not only the show does, but the characters do. Would I be right in thinking that uh, uh, this is actually symptomatic of quite a lot of twin relationships because there isn't that sense of disparity of one of them feels like I had the attention, then you came along and took the attention. They all tend to sort of get equal attention from the word go. Is that Uh, fair to say? It depends very much on the dynamic of the family, especially when you've got uh, uh, siblings of different genders. Mm. I think the... um, that that dynamic of as you say i was here i had my family and my situation all to myself and then you came along and things changed yeah. um isn't going to be there yeah I, i'm talking mostly i suppose about exemplary of very small families as opposed to massive families or traditional families where it's like ah oh, more young hands to render the tallow <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's a very traditional family. also uh, since lauren brought up uh, david the gnome i mm-hmm. should point out that in david the gnome all known always have twins a boy and a girl oh no that is always right yep that is always how they're they're children they have children once and that's always it oh i want to see shmebulok's sister (laughs) (laughs) shmebulok i I feel sorry for shmebulok's sister (laughs) but yeah that that uh the the twin dynamic that was something that i really enjoyed because I, whenever the central characters, obviously they are set up in such a way for your audience to identify with one, if it's a group, you mm. know, there will be somebody for everybody to connect with, hopefully, that's the, the, the ideal. But for me, it was very much, well, uh, Mabel is kind of who I am when I'm off the chain, and <laughs> Dipper is who I am when I'm able to harness my brain a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> It also establishes, hey, this is for you know all genders, and and you can in, enjoy it straight out the gate, as opposed to here is the boy, and then there is the girl that will define him. Mm. Well, there's, there was so much in the the uh, the nineties and, and earlier than that, where if there were sibling relationships going on. Mm. 
the standard pattern was an older sister so that they could incorporate boyfriend storylines oh, yeah? into what was going you on. You mean in drama stuff? Uh, and sitcoms and, and things like that. Okay. Uh, and then a little brother who was the audience insert character who they expected the audience to connect with. And this was one of the reasons why Blossom was considered so weird because the younger sibling was a girl. Was Blossom considered weird? It was considered weird at the time. Ah. The dynamics were all off for oh. what was sort of received wisdom for what people would respond to. Folks, tune in later for our Blossom show, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. The sun is gonna surely shine Stop all your fussing Slap on a smile Come out and walk in the sun for a while Don't fight the feeling You know you wanna have a good time And in my opinion, nation The sun is gonna surely shine to go back to the journal for just a second, mm-hmm. one of the things I love about it is how many, like, blink and you miss it gags and references you'll see as Dipper's flipping through it throughout mm-hmm. the whole series. Mm-hmm. In this very first episode, he talks about how things are weird and he's scratching uh, mosquito bites on his arm and it says beware. And at yeah. one point, as he's flipping through the book, the book has a listing for something called Soothskitos. Uh, that nice. are mosquitoes that are prophetic and will will sting prophetic words into your skin, but are a very bad at spelling. <laughs> <laughs> it should be noted, by the way, folks, that this journal is in fact available to buy as a artifact item from this universe. It's wonderful, and uh, Lyra, who adored this show, finally mm-hmm. received this as a uh, birthday present, as a sort of a. It's the thing to get once you've seen the whole thing. That way every episode and every detail feels special in there. Uh, but uh, it, uh, it spent quite a long time in the uh, bestsellers list. And uh, the, it's, yeah. it's the actual thing that Dipper reads. It's a lovely hardbound and beautifully presented. Mm. It is and there's also- more puzzles inside of it as well, which is great. More mm. cryptograms and just things to figure out. Yeah. I'm gonna. I've never actually read it cover to cover. I will make sure that I do that before the last episode of this mm. series. Yeah, there's other little bits and pieces as well. There's a, um, a coloring book, a cursed coloring book, mm. and um, anybody who desperately wanted more stories after the second season, there are some mm. graphic novels, I believe. It's not like that. This thing didn't get merch, and it's certainly not like this thing didn't really get watched. But it's not. It's difficult to to find other people who adore it. For us, at least. So uh, we're hoping to cultivate, uh, uh, you know, a, a micro-resurgence of uh, Gravity that, Falls within our community. But that could be more to do with age than anything else. I mean, yeah. Lyra kind of uses it as a bit of a litmus test for potential friends. <laughs> Not that she's excluding anybody who, who mm. doesn't, but if they've heard of Gravity Falls and like it, it's like, we mm. are instant pals. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, D- Dipper and Mabel work perfectly for exemplifying the show in terms of the mysteries are what Dipper's interested in and the overall mystery side of it, the the overarching nature is what the show 
you know, set how, how the show sets about its business. But Mabel represents the party aspect and all of the fun that you get to have along the way. It's this wonderful balance of, of mystery and fun. And, and they are like, it's, it's, it's a superb dynamic. And that's really exemplified at the ending of the first episode when they get yeah. their rewards where uh, Dipper had lost his goofy beige hat mm. and gets he chooses to get his fancy blue pine tree hat because mm. he has like a very specific image of himself and like who he is and like, you know, ah, no, this is like I was missing something. And then Mabel pulls out a grappling hook. Which- <laughs> grappling hook! <laughs> yeah. Grappling hook! And, and, and it's not just a gag. Very few things in the show end up just being gags. So many things come back. And that's almost more impressive to me about this show, considering that there are things that will happen in a later episode specifically that is referenced in this episode that you can spot. uh, And it, it really rewards you to go back and look. But then there are so many aspects of this episode that end up getting used later in the series. It's a whole other thing to go back and watch the show once you've once you've watched once you've gotten all the way to the end mm. and you you kind of know what everything that's going on and you go back and you're like oh oh that oh oh <laughs> so all of those mysteries that like you you were sort of wandering around suddenly kind of like everything slots into place and like sometimes things that they at the time as animating it weren't intending to slot into place retroactively slots into place it's it's masterfully done uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, the, the 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 coder i believe for the uh, first episode is grunkle stan opens a vending machine in the shack and goes down to the basement to do something mysterious which Im- involves a bright glowing light so we already know that this guy is more than he says he is and is involved in more stuff so uh, we like it's a, it's an it's a promise. It's a keep watching, folks, and and it absolutely fulfills on that promise. Number two is The Legend of Gobblewonka, and we get to spend more time, if nothing else, with Stan and uh, a little bit of time with Seuss. Uh, so we, I suppose we can talk about them in, in this as well. Although I did spot at the very, very beginning uh, an ad, I think, in the magazine for Lil Gideon, who turns up later. Uh, I'm sorry, who spotted it? I spotted it with mine eyes. It was... <laughs> Sharon spotted it. Thank she was you. much more of a detective than I was <laughs> this time around. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a little you know, a character who's going to turn up at some point later on. Also, I spotted Stanawar, which is uh, Stan's boat name. That turns up in uh, a couple of other submarine craft later in the uh, series. So um, does the Stanley Mobile. Mm-hmm. The license plate on his car is the Stanley Mobile that ends up becoming an important clue later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, let, let's stop being coquettish, especially with the people who are like, what are they talking about? Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, so who is uh, Grunkle Stan that we can talk about right now? Grunkle Stan, why do you want to bond with us all of a sudden? Come on, this is going to be great! I've never had fishing buddies before. The guys from the lodge won't go with me. They don't like or trust me. I think he actually wants to fish with us. Hey, I know it'll cheer you sad sacks up. Pow! Pine's family fishing hats. Uh, that That's hand-stitching, you know. 
It's just gonna be you, me, and those goofy hats on a boat for ten hours. Ten hours? I brought the joke book. No, no! There has to be a way out of this. Grunkle Stan is possibly the most interesting character in the show. Right out of the gate, that first episode, you get a very strong impression of who he is or who you think he is, who he wants you to think he is. And he's, you know, he's this curmudgeonly old man who, let's be frank, if this wasn't a Disney show, would would swear a blue strike all of the time. <laughs> it, it does make me question Dipper and Mabel's parents a little bit that they would allow their children to go spend the summer with this guy <laughs> you, you know you get that in the first episode and everything in that episode everything about him seems very consistent right up until the bit you mentioned earlier going like opening the vending machine going through down to the basement <clears throat> and it it's the fact that oh there's way more going on with this guy than you were first led to believe <clears throat> See that that moment with the vending machine is this is when I sat up and decided I was going to watch the rest of the show immediately, uh, because up to then it was like okay this is silly this is goofy it's subverting my expectations you know this this is, this is pretty good but then then the door opened figuratively and literally and I really wanted to see what was on the other side of that door mm. and that's what kept me watching but uh, Gorgle Stan himself oh god he's he's such a tapestry of different frayed and moldy threads <laughs> sometimes literally he's so interesting because in this this second episode he's he just he just wants to spend time with with dipper and mabel but he doesn't know how to be this sort of avuncular grandfatherly person that does that and it's just it's 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 sad and funny at the same time to see him try to connect with dipper and mabel and then to have it just yanked out from underneath him at every possible turn. Mm. But he's he's so used to being a shyster and, and putting on this front and and obfuscating his secrets that he can't really open up to to be a genuine family mm. type person. Can you please tell me more funny stories, Pop Pop? Anything for my fishing buddies. <laughs> Pop Pop? I just realized that I love you. Oh, come on! Boo! Boo! <laughs> hey, now, what's the big idea? He's uh, been very reclusive, clearly, for very many years. Like, he doesn't seem to have direct friends. He has employees, but that's not the same thing. And, uh... As such, he tends to live on his own, wearing boxer shorts and vest. And uh, there's, he's voiced by Alex Hirsch himself. And he seems to, like, there's a very, there's kind of a crusty the clown feeling about him, especially with his voice. Uh, and the fact that, <laughs> but like, that there's a, you know how John Schwartzwelder's uh, humor in The Simpsons is very much tied up with sort of uh, having Mr. Burns and Grandpa make references to now incredibly antiquated old things. Uh-huh. Uh, now, my story begins in 1932. We had to say dickity, cause the Kaiser had stolen our word 20. I chased that rascal to get it back, but gave up after dickity six miles. <laughs> dickity? Highly dubious. What are you cackling at, fatty? Too much pie, that's your problem. Now, I'd like to digress from my prepared remarks to discuss how I invented the turlet. Turlet? <laughs> Stop 
Hefner Stickerin. I spent three years on that turlet. It's never absolutely nailed down exactly how old Grunkle Stan is, though they do play tricks with you regarding time. Her name was Carla McCorkle. Carla Hot Pants McCorkle. Me and Carla Baby would cut a rug together at the Juke Joint, our favorite 50s-themed 1970s diner. And it's like they're, they're, they're mashing these two old things together. His points of reference, you know, sometimes go towards the 1930s even. Like He uses words like rube and seems to have plied his trade at crooked carnivals. He kind of evokes like that kind of you know, drinking egg creams and punching Nazis uh, yeah. thing of, of, of Spider-Man Noir. So he's kind of a grab bag of sort of old people. In fact, yeah, he even has like a, a Ray Harryhausen uh, videos, which are sort of labelled old man films or something like that. That kind of humour really just makes me laugh for some reason, because it does require a little bit of... Uh, of savvy to research and to make a reference to something that is out of the realms of people's normal um, lexicon. And that, in that I write New Century all the time, is kind of my wheelhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you talk about that because you look at, it's very much, the same is very much true of Mabel. Mm. Um, Because clearly, like, sometimes the things she says and the way that she talks... Mm. For a girl who's very, who seems very superficial and very, you know, kind of not caring about the deeper side of things for the most part, she uses all kinds of, she's like, you scallywag! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sushi wrap scallion. Yeah, thank you. That that was the other one I was trying to think of. And it's like, it's like, wait a minute, you're 12. No 12 year old talks like this. I especially loved that that uh, sushi rap scallion was in response to his joke, Scuttle Butt Island. He just covered the scuttles of Butt Island. (laughs) Mabel is basically uh, sort of a a collection of things that Alex Hirsch remembers about his sister Ariel. So, uh, some like he when he had get her occasionally on the commentaries to uh, talk about the sort of things that they did when they were kids. Um, she's at a weird disadvantage because he spent years crafting Gravity Falls, thinking very like ex- extensively about things that happened back then. She's like, oh, I remember that, yeah. But like, it's like she's slightly disconnected from that. So he almost has a version of her in his head, which kind of equates to Mabel, which doesn't necessarily apply to the reality of who Ariel Hirsch was. Mm. Uh, and certainly not who Ariel Hirsch mm. is now. <laughs> but but we get to enjoy her through the voice of Kristen Schaal and the, this amazing animation that Ar- that uh, sorry, that uh, Mabel uh, manages to convey. She's this incredibly dynamic Character mm. Kristen Schaal, who is automatically hilarious no matter what character she's playing and who I cannot listen to mm. without just visualising this sweet, naive face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, one of, it's why one of my favourite jokes from her from 30 Rock worked so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I can't remember the episode, but basically at the beginning it's summertime, so the one hot secretary lady is dressed down and all the guys are looking at her. Mm-hmm. So she, Kristen Schaal's walking around with her shirt mostly open, and when somebody talks to her, she's like, hey, my breasts are down here. <laughs> and then when they then when they look, she says, take a picture... Take a picture; it'll last longer. And hands her, hands them a glossy of her with a with a shirt really low. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great joke, and it coming from Kristen Schaal, it's even better. I seen it. I seen it again. Yeah. <laughs> 
Doodles, Gobblewonker! Come quick before it scrap Doodles away! Aw, <laughs> you're doing a happy jig! No! It's a jig of grave danger! Hey, hey! Now, what did I tell you about scaring my customers? This is your last warning, Dad! So, the legend of Gobblewonka is uh, like a hunt for the Loch Ness Monster in the, this uh, uh, local river. And there's a particular gag here where uh, Dipper has... <clears throat> uh, in circumventing the gag where you take a load of photos of a monster with your camera, he's bought ten uh, little Snappy Snaps party cameras. Seventeen. Snappy Snaps party cameras straight out of the 1990s from when these things were even vaguely relevant. Uh, If you're young, you will not have the displeasure of of seeing your photos come out and going, oh, this is horrible. Everyone has red eye. These are disgusting. The colors are all off. Like digital photos just taken on your iPhone. Uh, uh, and they work this out mathematically one million times better than anything you could take with a disposable camera. All right, if we want to win this contest, we've got to do it right. Think, what's the number one problem with most monster hunts? Your side character, you would die in the first five minutes of the movie. Due to my side character, you ever think about stuff like that? No, 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 camera trouble. Say Bigfoot shows up. Seuss, be Bigfoot. There he is, Bigfoot. Uh-oh, no camera. Oh, wait, here's one. Oh, no film. You see you see what I'm doing here? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Dude's got a point. That's why I bought 17 disposable cameras. Two on my ankle, three in my jacket, four for each of you, three extras in this bag, and one under my hat. There's no way we're going to miss this. Okay, everybody, let's test our cameras out. Oh, dude! You see, this is exactly why you need backup cameras. We still have 16. Oh, oh ah, bird! Fifteen. Okay, guys, I repeat, don't lose your cameras. Wait, lose the cameras? Don't! Dude, I just threw two away. Thirteen. All right, we still have thirteen cameras. Twelve. We have twelve cameras. So what's the plan? Throw more cameras overboard or what? No! Dipper's like super uh, over compensates for this and as a result all 17 cameras get completely trashed of course they do yeah <laughs> it, almost the same way as uh, what he does trying to overthink the baseball throw in Time Traveler's Pig because that's what Dipper yeah. does it's what because you can mine so play. much comedy from someone who and overthinks mm-hmm. uh, because of the like the, the fact that the in- the our, our uh, reaction to tropes is like well just do this like you know he's us in this scenario again well i'm just going to be smart and circumvent this and it still goes wrong what makes that so funny though to me is not that dipper overthinks things because there's so many characters in tv who overthink things and Mm. everybody's laughing at them because they overthink things and isn't it hilarious because how daft to overthink Mm. but dipper knows he overthinks dipper tries to Uh, trick himself out of overthinking and somehow trips up over the overthinking that he did to overthink the overthinking. Yep. (laughs) We also get uh, a couple of um, new uh, additions to the uh, cast, uh, the tertiary cast, uh, in the uh, shape of Old Man McGucket turns up here. Who's He's an old coot and a crazy old-timer archetype, but he also kind of claims that archetype for himself from now on for me any old timer is going to be a mcgucket type 
Stinky Pete from uh, Toy Story uh, 2 yeah. is supposed to be that. Yeah, he's, he's like supposed to be that. The character of the show would have been that. Yeah, yeah, so the gag was, of course, that he's Kelsey Grammer and is extremely de- uh, refined. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you've got this, like, my favorite old man McGucket line is, Come on, raccoon wife! <laughs> and, yes! <laughs> and I think that's actually a, a follow-up to another joke where he talks about, like, he said he was eating one side of a sandwich and then a raccoon started eating the other side and before they knew it, they was kissing! But, uh, yeah, no, he, he's just kind of in there as as, as sort of a, a crazy side character and they end up doing quite interesting stuff with him later on. Sorry, I personally love Old Man McGucket. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just... I, so when I did the rewatch for these episodes with my partner, there's a much later episode where they're sneaking through a place and he's just like, if I see anything, I'll... I, I forget what he says. I'll get like, to hollering. Well, but he starts, like, clapping his hands on himself in, like, some kind of way. And people are like, we don't we don't know what you mean. Oh, it's a hambone really solo. Oh, hambone. That's it. I'll hambone you. Yes. Uh... And uh, there, there were there was like a solid week where just around the house, Lynn and I would just like look at each other and then just start like doing the hand bone. <laughs> Get the spoons out. I get, it's weird. Like he's this connection of like sort of a crazy old coot redneck um, tropes, but again, much like with Stan, it's so f- they're so fond, they're so delighted to be bringing you these lines and this weirdness. There's nothing spiteful about it at all there's no like sneering at rednecks it's all just like he's hilarious i think one of the ways that they uh they work with a lot of the comedy is that that it has a simple surface layer that that little children can just laugh at the funny and then they layer the characters with so many different things especially as the series goes on Mm. that every sort of tropey stereotypical thing that those characters do is it kind of disappears in all of the other facets and aspects of that character. Hmm. Yeah. It's Muppet humour. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, actually. There, there is a bit of, like, what feels... It's got the madcap energy of the Muppets, but at the same time the the wry, you know, ca- you know carefully considered mm. uh, scripting of the Muppets as well. Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't have that thing that so much kids' TV has... Which is just everything's got to be madcap and constant and, and screaming and screaming and it'll never stop Lapstick. and nobody has mm. an opportunity to breathe at all between minute one and minute twenty two. But it does a good job of faking like it might do that mm. to get kids watching, and then it never really resorts to it. But they feel like they might have have, have seen it. So like, come for the zooming and the screaming, stay for everything else, <laughs> you rubes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think. Part of, part of how the, the humor is so well done and and how it doesn't, you know, it very clearly, it's not, you know, it's not playing to stereotypes and not playing, you know, not playing to, you know, the basest instincts of people and making fun of these characters mm. is the fact that these characters know that they're ridiculous. And they, they themselves play into it. Like, when you first meet Old Man McGucket, it's like, Old Man McGucket, local kook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're in on the joke. They're, they're but but also you get later on many of them you get more depth and you find out no there is more going on there. They aren't just those archetypes, mm. but but they a little bit play into that. They know that's what how they come across and they play that up. 
Yeah. In Legend of Gobblewonker, of the Gobblewonker, this uh, becomes even more kind of apparent with old Meg McGucket, who, yes, he, he's, he's clearly an old-timey guy because, as Mabel and Dipper point out, he actually used the word hornswoggle. Um, <laughs> but he's also apparently a robotics genius that likes to make um, the, the type of robots that Godzilla would have to defend Japan from. <laughs> Like these giant, like these giant doomsday robots um, that go around terrorizing things, and he makes them for the most inane reasons. Like my wife left me, so I made a revenge robot. <laughs> <laughs> we also get uh, brief appearances here of uh, first appearances from uh, a guy named Manly Dan, who's this giant lumberjack with a great big barrel chest, voiced, I believe, by. Uh, I was just going to say, I believe that's Wendy's dad. Oh, really? It is. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. That's Wendy's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Wendy's dad. Oh my God, that would it be quite intimidating to uh, Dipper? Then he never really has to, that. I can't remember him ever really having to prove himself to Manly Dan. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, we haven't really talked about Wendy much either. But yeah, there, there's uh, Manly Dan is voiced by um, John DiMaggio. John DiMaggio, that's yeah. him. Um, and there's a, a little guy called Tyler Cute Biker who, whenever like a fight starts, usually with Manly Dan, hangs around at the periphery and goes, get him, get him, which, again, that is a phrase that gets used all the time now in our yeah. house. I'll show you how a real man fishes. There are so many very clearly queer characters, even going to the beginning of this show, and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things, again, one of the things I love about that, about Gravity Falls, is that it's a very accepting place that has so many very obviously queer characters mm. just kind of running around. There's and a, a couple of ambiguously so ones. Mm. Speaking of, uh, Sheriff Blubs and Deputy Derland uh, uh, here turn up, and they had to walk a fine line because, from the sounds of it, Disney can't really allow anyone to ever be gay in anything, ever. They can kind of imply it and mention it a bit with, like, holding hands and stuff, but they're they're very aware that the moment they have openly gay characters in this century, they're going to get hauled over the coals by mothers saying, you are actively encouraging our children to be gay. And... And we'd, We'd like you to encourage them to be straight. Yeah. And uh, it's a fucking backward-ass way of uh, uh, moving, and it's uh, incredibly fucking intolerant, and it it hampers creativity and uh, diversity. But somehow, like, the braver shows and and Legend of Korra managed to get a really wonderful uh, little uh, uh, bit at the end, which was very valuable to a lot of people. Uh, And this one, again, in the final episode, uh, uh, these two do get to say that they love each other but in a way that they could just about maybe get away with uh, because there's so much else going on at that point. And also, the show's over, so what are you going to do? Cancel everything? Pre- you know. <laughs> Another hydrant destroyed. It's a gosh dang mystery. Want to take off our uniforms and run around in circles? Quit reading my mind. <laughs> <laughs> what place have you always wanted to visit? One, two... Silly Water water Fun Slides slides in Grand Grand Lakes, Lakes, Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) The irony is, most 20th century stand-up comedy centering around heteronormativity and the sanctity of marriage is rather discouraging. Now that we're alone, Rosanna, there's a burning question which my heart longs to ask of you. Oh, 
Reginald. Hey! Wanna hear a joke? Here goes. My ex-wife still misses me, but her aim is getting better. Her aim is getting better. You see, it's, it's funny because marriage is terrible. What? To be fair, Disney did go back and adjust some of the earlier episodes for various reasons, but... They you did? Mentioned... What happened? So um, they blanked out the symbol on Stan's Fez for the first, like, six or seven episodes. Oh, yeah, because they thought... Yeah. Because it was, quote-unquote, too close to an Islamic symbol, and there was, um, there was a couple lines of dialogue. I think there was, like, a... There is something written in the van uh, in an episode coming up mm -hmm. that they changed from you suck to you stink. Like oh, yeah. weird little things. But you mentioned queer themes and Gravity Falls, and I was going to save this for a later episode, but I'm going to talk about it now. Go for it now. There is an extremely robust theory that Dipper Pines is a trans man. Okay. Um, okay. So, right. so let me lay it out. Uh, they never mention whether they are fraternal or identical twins, and the rates of transgender expression is actually identical between, um, like, the general population and identical twins. Like, it's not unheard of. Um, there are so many little mannerisms that Dipper has throughout the series. They go to the pool, and he wears a shirt the entire time, which is, like, a big trans man mood. In an episode in, uh, later on this season, Dipper versus Manliness, the entire thing is him struggling with masculinity and never feeling like he's man enough. Mm -hmm. And yes, That's there's an element. Thing, yeah. there, it's a very recurring theme. He, The way that he reacts when somebody calls him a girl is extremely different than uh, like what you would expect from like a cis child a cis boy child a lot of the time because like there's a lot of that you know oh well, you're not man enough kind of thing but dipper struggles with it in a way that seems like somebody knew what they were doing and when specifically asked about it alex hirsch went out of his way to avoid saying yes or no nice. uh specifically to keep the, the thought alone. and it makes a kind of sense considering that at the time i mean hell even today you, he had to slip in these queer themes for just homosexuality or uh, – well, really, that's, that's what those – what you were talking about earlier, that the idea of there being a trans character, even a main trans character, is so, like, subversive. You would have to do it so subtly. And, I mean, like, Dipper's 12. That's – you know, that's very reasonable for, like, of an age where it, you know, wouldn't necessarily be showing. But he and Mabel are close to identical. You even describe them similarly. Um, and, you know, you can't have identical twins that come out as different sexes, but you can certainly have identical twins that are different genders. And it's something that, uh, as I was watching this again recently with that in mind, because of who I am, uh, it's really subtle, but it is there. There, like it, It's quote-unquote not confirmed, but the creator of the show himself specifically went out of his way to like not confirm or deny this. Which, which allows that reading to stand. I love that fact. Because yeah. I mean, like, either way, like, if they intended it to be so, that's very like ingenious working around of, of Disney who would immediately clamp down and go yep nope nope that's not happening at all and if it's not 
like if, if it wasn't the intentional case, allowing that to be to maintain as a reading is kind and accepting, and it brings more people together. Also, mm-hmm. one, one tiny point: Dipper's given name is gender neutral. Mason can be either a girl's name or a boy's name. Mm-hmm. Yep, oh. and he he specifically insists by going by a different name. And I want to I want to bring up a quote. And again, this is from Dipper versus Manliness, but it's relevant. When asked whether or not he behaves in a stereotypically masculine manner, he tears up, and his specific quote is, I'm not a male, I'm not a man, is that what you're getting at? Which, again, not what a cis person would say. So, yeah. like, it, there's a lot to work with there, more so than a lot of the wild fan theories that I've brought on this podcast in past episodes. <laughs> um, but, it, but it also adds a different texture to a lot of it that almost allows for a much deeper reading. So, but it also is presented in a way that it it doesn't preclude that challenge to his masculinity that a lot of cis boys who don't fit that stereotype mm. might also identify with and, and find some meaning to. Yeah, uh, Dipper yeah. has uh, um, uh, experienced some of the toxicity that gets uh, uh, bandied about during the uh, that episode and rejects it. Which is, you know, it makes Dipper an incredibly strong character. And that's, and I love that it is ambiguous like that because people who do not have any kind of trans experience will watch it and feel connected to it because of their own, like, understanding of, like, masculine fragility and things of that nature but somebody with a trans experience is going to look at it and be like hold on a second like the way that this is going is very different and even that rejection of stereotypical masculinity is a very big trans man feel because there's a lot bandied about today about toxic masculinity and there's there i I have spoken to trans men who are afraid to transition because they don't want to have to embody those stereotypes and it is just again (laughs) If you if you if you go through it with that eye, there's so much there. Either way, whether whichever reading is correct, it is still an excellent point making to kids and like embodied so perfectly by what Grunkle Stan says at the end of the episode when he's like something to the effect of um, You were your own man, you stood up for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, which like, hey, that's a great that's a great portrayal of masculinity whichever way you know however you want to read it like no you were you were a decent person and that's what matters yeah and there's so many little interactions between dipper and mabel and dipper and stan that could also be read like from that trans perspective it's it's remarkable i highly recommend going back and watching it with that in mind well, we definitely will now, you know, the rest of yeah. the rest of the episodes going forward. I'm sorry. I was looking for the mailman. Oh, what? Are you saying I'm not a male man? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm not male? I'm I'm not a man? Is that Is that what you're getting at? Are you crying? Episode 3 is Headhunters. The it's 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 kind of a who done it because uh, Stan starts a waxwork musical. Stan moves things around in the mystery shack and it's like oh now it's a waxwork museum um and uh one of the uh, waxworks is beheaded and uh this is uh, i think um probably most notable for the fact that uh 
John Oliver plays a Sherlock Holmes waxwork who is uh, uh, kind of adorable, like like a kitten sneezing. <laughs> <laughs> and it brings up another thing that keeps reoccurring in the show too is you can never be entirely sure of the layout of this place. Yeah, because they repeatedly find new rooms. Yeah, it's like, wait, what? Where'd that come from? Yeah, it is remarkably inconsistent. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, one thing that uh, I actually did not particularly like about this episode, this is really the full introduction of Sheriff Blobs and Mm -hmm. Deputy Derlin. And honestly, I think they hadn't found the characters yet because even though they definitely have the queerness, they also have a cruelty to them Mm. that sort of disappears as the show goes on. Like, they very much are making fun of Dipper for being a city boy and they've got I, I know what I know the trope that they're playing on, but it comes off as very cruel and Deputy Darling gets very excited about the idea that he can break into some place and quote use his nightstick. Police brutality jokes, yay. And That's of course they make judged. fun of Yeah. And of course they make fun of uh the joke later when uh Sheriff Blood's like, I'm so confident that you didn't find anything, I'm gonna slowly sip my coffee. And he spits the coffee out into <laughs> Derlin's face. Derlin spits it back into his face. Uh, back and forth for a little while, and they take off and stands. <laughs> they were scalded. <laughs> so, oh. It's not the way that I really would like to introduce those characters. Fortunately, they do get better as the series goes on. One joke that made me laugh in this way more than it really ought to have is the, the melting of, of Wax Abraham Lincoln. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Wax John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bravo, Dipper Pines. You've discovered our little secret. Applaud, everyone. Applaud sarcastically. Uh, no, that sounds too sincere. Slow clap. There we go. Nice and condescending. But how is this possible? You're made of wax. Are you... Magic? Are we magic? She wants to know if we're magic. <laughs> we're cursed. Cursed. Cursed to come to life whenever the moon is waxing. Your uncle bought us many years ago at a garage sale. A honey garage sale, son. I must warn you, these statues come at a terrible price. Twenty dollars? I'll just take them when you're not looking. What? So the fourth one is The Hand That Rocks the Mabel. And uh, this is the one with the introduction of Lil Gideon. Now, there are some great Gideon episodes coming up where we can talk about Gideon more as a character. But this one introduces him as this, oh, it's just whittle old me type uh, uh, character. He is, like, it's kind of easy in animated fare to make a great shitty televangelist who is clearly fleecing people Uh, but the reason that Gideon's kind of the nemesis in this is that Stan wants to fleece people and Gideon is kind of getting in the way and you know likewise they kind of hate each other because they both want to get the uh, coin from these rubes so, like, you know, even though they weren't really thinking necessarily of, of, of the future in this one, uh, Gideon has th- th- this... 
it's weirdly prescient, isn't it? It's it's 2012, and he's this little liar who tells people exactly what they want to uh, hear, and he's got this great big quiff and is pure evil. And actually, <laughs> in the end, is a better person than uh, than certain people that you could co- compare him with. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, you, you you subtweet even in vocally. Uh, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Sub-podcasting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One thing that I particularly like about The Hand That Rocks the Mabel is that Gideon is so over the top that it really does make Stan seem reasonable by comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the point that at one point they do a joke where um, Gideon's father suggests that they, you know, basically merge efforts by having Gideon and Mabel who are 12, um, marry one another. <laughs> and there's a cha-ching sound, and the camera pans down is because Stan just started leaning on an old-fashioned um, cash <laughs> register and opened it, so he just closes it. Also, I can't not think of, and I love her more than any pig. <laughs> That's from yes, Black Adder. Oh, yeah, okay, Black so Adder. you know that. But, but yes, the I point do. being that it's like this, this kind of prearranged you know we need to unify our families for property reasons thing. yes the old-fashioned way yeah indeed um but one thing i really like about this episode is how it adds some um much needed subtleties to mabel's character mm. and in yes. particular that element of uh the the boy crazy 12 year old who you know feels this uncontrollable urge to flirt with everything that comes across her path that she's interested in oh so you mean my name is mabel but you can call me the girl of your dreams (laughs) yes here's the thing i've been a 12 year old girl Mm -hmm. on holiday with grandparents dressed like that sites in the middle of nowhere and yes (laughs) you do kind of glom on to any vaguely interesting person particularly boys (laughs) knocking around because it's something to do yeah yeah but the the fact that as her uh her interactions with gideon move on it becomes very clear that mabel is not I will launch myself at anything male. Yeah, she's quite sceptical of him as things go on. She's like, oh, this is weird. It it kind of, first off, it gives that sense of, you know what? Being female and in our society and having genuine attractions to multiple people is okay. You are 12. None of these have to be followed through to conclusion. Enjoy it. You know, Mm. see what you like. But also, she is very authentic and very genuine about it. And when she doesn't feel that spark, she says so. And it's not just a case of let's pursue everything. It's she is genuinely looking for, for connections that she likes and responds to. And that gives her, to me anyway, a degree of um agency which is not often afforded teenage girl characters in those aforementioned sitcoms and things that i mentioned earlier Mm. yeah and gideon she's looking for a gay best friend Mm. yeah Uh, unfortunately gideon is uh, as it turns out really selfish and actually kind of nefarious and has a much bigger uh series of plans afoot and uh seems to, to to want to uh, a, a terrible measure of control. So yeah, we'll we'll be uh, back to him later. Does he go to child prison at the end of this one? I forget. 
Yes. No, 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 no. This, oh, no. At the end of this one, he backs into the forest saying, this isn't the last you'll see of little old me. Right. <laughs> and then he has all the little dolls and it shows us he has journal two. Oh, yes. yes. So, yeah. yeah, Dipper has journal three. He has journal two, which automatically makes you think, well, where's, where's journal, journal one? one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, episode five is the inconveniencing uh, reference to the conven- haunted convenience store that they uh, wind up in. And this is the first time that we meet uh, Robbie and a bunch of other teens that um, Wendy, uh, who is played by Linda Cardellini uh, from Scooby-Doo and uh, Freaks and Geeks, who we've kind of like, I only started really noticing her after... Uh, um, I think she disappeared at the end of uh, the beginning of Avengers Endgame. And I was like, oh, Hawkeye's wife. And then I was like, wow, she's actually a fantastic Velma. And then she also voiced Velma in various, uh, in, in various like animated Scooby-Doo things. Uh, but as Wendy, she's this slightly older teen girl. She's not preposterously older than uh, she's Dipper. She's 15. She's 15. But that illustrates there is that that three years when you're a teen is really a lot. It's quite significant. And there, this starts a series of, um, well, it actually starts earlier, but this like ups the value on a series of episodes where Dipper pines after uh, (laughs) Wendy and is constantly thwarted and feels like he can't ever get Wendy to see him in that way. How's that hair tasting, buddy? Wendy, I need some advice. You've broken up with guys, right? Oh, yeah. Russ Durham, Eli Hall, Stoney Davidson. I don't know what's wrong with me. I thought everything was back to normal, but I still feel all gross. Mike Worley, Nate Holt, oh, the guy with the tattoos. Maybe letting Dipper do it for me was a mistake. Gideon deserves an honest breakup. Danny Feldman, Mark Epstein. Oh, man, I'm not sure I ever actually broke up with him. No wonder he keeps calling me. I know what I gotta do. Thanks for talking to me, Wendy. <laughs> Ignore. And Robbie, played by T.J. Miller, uh, is Whoa. his uh, is the chief rival for her affections, and he's kind of a portrait of a um, kind of a uh, angsty teen. Would you like to talk about Robbie? And Robbie, you can probably figure him out. Yeah, I'm the guy who spray painted the water tower. Oh, you mean the big muffin? Um, it's a giant explosion. <laughs> Kind of does look like a muffin. (laughs) (laughs) Or Wendy. (laughs) (laughs) Wendy, absolutely. Yeah, but but, uh, let's just imagine that Robbie isn't played by T.J. Miller and just look at Robbie as written. Yeah. He's not much of a character, to be honest. He's Mm. he's got the one note. He's he's an angsty, snappy teen. Mm. And he... I don't know if he actually really likes Wendy... Or is just hanging around because he needs a girlfriend or whatever. Mm. I, see, I never liked Robbie. Mm. Even though I wasn't rooting for Dipper to, you know, sort of, quote unquote, get with Mabel. I yeah. mean, uh, shoot, sorry, get with Wendy. Whoa, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> as, as in, oh, we're going steady, get with kind of thing. Yeah, but yeah. not in any other yeah. way. See, this is the trouble with being asexual. Everything is so weird. <laughs> Okay. Um, no, that's fine. If you want to elaborate on that, please do. It's a, it's a yeah, see, see, point. See, innuendo doesn't come naturally to me. Hmm. Be- I have to kind of work at seeing it because it's such an abstract concept <laughs> to yeah. me. Hmm. I would counter a little bit about talking about Robbie. Hmm. I, I think that 
he is not much of a character, I think, because it's more about he's a teenage boy who has no idea who he is and is has put on this persona of, you know, I don't care, of, of emo, you know, very the stereotypical emo teen. Yeah. yeah, because when you're a teenager, frequently the cool thing is to be aloof. Yeah. And so he is the embodiment of that. Wendy is largely that, but she lets her guard down occasionally around Dipper. He sees it. Be- he sees it as her expressing interest in him. She sees it as he's a little kid. I don't have to worry about my reputation with him. Mm. I can trust him because he's not, you know, he's not one of my peers. He's not really a threat to. Uh, my sense of self and other people's sense of me. And she finds him oh. funny and, and enjoys yeah. spending time with Dipper. Yeah. I, I really like Wendy as a character because she provides a good, um, first off, she's a good foil to Mabel in the sense that when you're representing female characters in, in something, and I've said this many times before, you need at least two. Hmm. Ideally uh-huh. more than that, but at least two, because you want something that's going to show an acknowledgement that, Girls have different characteristics. Mm. They don't all manifest the same things all the time. And And it's especially things that are aimed at uh, young teenage and preteen boys. I think there is a bit of a tendency to have girls as this conglomerate mass where they all behave the same and it's impossible to separate Mm. any of them out into individuals. Mm. So, um, But I, I really like the fact that Wendy is kind of portrayed as effortlessly cool, but then very occasionally you'll see things that, that sort of give her that little human touch. I think the only thing that I possibly regretted a little bit about Wendy was that we didn't get more of her internal life. Yeah. Yeah. We see her very much from Dipper's POV. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense in terms of, of what the character's there to mm. do. She's a line many episodes from now that talks about how she's actually like a bundle of nerves and she's just maintaining her cool at all times. Uh, because have you seen my family? Is like specifically what she says. <laughs> yeah. Um, to 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 talk a little bit more about gender issues, real quick. Okay. Uh, Wendy is also an extremely masculine presenting woman, mm-hmm. and uh, like there's something to be said about like the 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 tomboy kind of uh, character, especially for a young trans man to glom onto, mm-hmm. and yeah. so so on and mm-hmm. so forth. I love Wendy. Uh, oh like, yeah absolutely adore Wendy throughout the whole thing. Mm. Uh, She's a straight shooter. But also, like, there is also a certain genuine maturity there. And if you look at what we see of Wendy's family, I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I don't think there ever seems to be a mother. Mm. No. She seems to be the oldest of, what, five? Mm. Four. She has has three brothers. Yeah. yeah. We needed something with, the, as you say, more internal life. Probably some of that maturity is coming from the fact that she probably basically had to step up and play mom mm. to these boys. And and also the sheer amount of like masculine masculinity in that household. I mean, manly Dan is your dad? My God. Yeah. Get him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also, and again, this is this is reading an awful lot into situations that are, are only hinted at. 
but that Wendy has not been obliged by her dad and by her brothers to become a very feminine girl mm. and sort of manifest her, we're putting you in the mum role that way, gives that sense of she she is getting the opportunity to be herself and choose how she mm. uh, she presents herself and dresses and, and behaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to add to what I was just saying a little bit ago is the fact that it very much seems like I, I get the impression she wanted to, like, she saw a need for someone to fill because Manly Dan does not seem like he's a particularly attentive parent. Mm-hmm. And so I'm guessing someone needed to fix the meals, someone needed to make sure everybody's clothes got washed, those kinds of things. And I'm guessing it was Wendy felt the need to take the responsibility and she was the only person who was old enough to even sort of do it. So not so much that her her brothers or her dad pressured her into it, just that Mm. more that she felt the need to step up. And think about that in comparison to Robbie specifically, because Wendy's coming from what we're sort of projecting is like not a broken household, but you know, not a, it's not a full like household. She doesn't have probably either real parental figure and she's always depicted as being hyper competent, Mm. which is a thing that occurs for a lot of, you know, young people in broken or like very quote unquote atypical homes. Uh, I, I know I learned how to cook meals for myself when I was like 11. So, uh, the the fact that she's like portrayed as that is itself like a, a good marker of that character. And then compared to Robbie, who's like one defining characteristic, at least at this point, is being whiny and painting muffins on things. Uh, but I, this was actually the very first episode I ever saw. So, uh, like, I was immediately introduced to Wendy and Mabel and Dipper at kind of almost like the peak of them, of, of the writers really knowing who they were. Mm. Uh, and and I just, oh, my gosh, there's so much in this episode. My favorite moment is Mabel in the fantasy <laughs> lunacy scape yes. just saying, Oh, yes. you're in Aoshima! <laughs> yes. <laughs> That made me fall in love with Mabel. I, I one of the I have made a handful of um, pops, like uh, pop vinyls, on my desk at work, and one of them is Mabel Pines. With she her. she reminds me to be a little silly sometimes. With her black eyes, like a doll's. <laughs> I hate those Funko Pops for that exact. I, I honestly, I went right off them just looking at the Dipper and Mabel because I was like, these guys need. They need the big white eye, like eyes around those black. That just those black eyes. I was like, I can't. Not with any other Funko Pop after this point. <laughs> the yeah. creative team, I feel, have really hit their stride in terms of the observational humour in this one. Possibly because I spent a lot of my childhood around the kind of older adults who like kids to be cute, mm. and yeah. so that that whole side of it felt very acutely accurate to me. For folks who haven't uh, seen it, this one's one where uh, the tension between the fact that Dipper and Mabel are not quite yet teens, but are hanging around with older teens, mm. starts to really press down, especially on Dipper, uh, because... 
and this is something that's, it's a theme that repeats throughout the the the, the two seasons it, they're just on the cusp they're just saying goodbye to childish things and they're just stepping out into the world of like you know everything that being a teenager entails which honestly if this episode um is, is gonna uh, be ex- exemplary isn't that much it's texting on your phone and being nonchalant mm. yeah <laughs> in the face of ghosts yeah uh, and so they, they pitch up at this old haunted convenience store and uh they are uh, all of the teens are terrorized by a pair, uh, an old mom and pop um of the type that uh, you know that their stores are now all going out of business who hate teenagers um they remember back in the 90s when these uh, uh kids these teenagers were hanging around outside with their boomy boxes hey ghost <clears throat> i've got something to tell you A teenager! <laughs> oh, well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> How old did you say you were? I'm... I'm 12. Technically not a teen. When we were alive, teenagers were a scourge on our store. Always sassafrassing customers with their boomy boxes and disrespectful short pants. So we decided to up and ban them. But they retaliated with this newfangled rap music. The lyrics, they were so hateful. Homework's whack and so are rules. Tuck it in your shirts for fools. No! The end of this where uh, Dipper saves the day by mm-hmm. doing the Lammy Lammy dance. Mm-hmm. Notice how like emasculating that is and how much he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. And just even the fact that like this is something from his past that he is trying to escape from with the pink ribbon. And I don't know. Just saying. Mabel doesn't yeah, say anything there. about it. She doesn't tease him about it or say, remember when you used to do that? It's It's... The lammy dance is, he's like, I'm going to need a lamb costume and I don't have one of those. And the old man ghost magics him into one. And it's this, like, utterly cringe-inducing sort of capering in front of old people while singing about being a cute little baby. And, uh, like, the little, like, wink at the end and pressing his cheek that Dipper does is just the icing on the cake. But... I think most of us have been around grandparents, at least. You might not have been the kid who was subject to it, but you might have been present when the cutest kid in your family, in your collection of cousins, if you had them, uh, was required to do ballet or sing a song or do a cartwheel or something like that. And, and I asked Sharon, why do old people do this shit? It's creepy. <laughs> and you said... <laughs> Control. Oh yeah, control. Because they are they are not in the position of being parents to an immediate child and being able to to shape them and mold mm. them into who they want them to be. So they take those moments where they can get them. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, parents maybe it's becoming less of a thing now. I certainly hope so. But a generation or so back would be like, oh, do it because it will make your grandma happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, I hate that. I don't know. Also, the, the, it's possible that, that because of the massive acceleration of culture throughout the 20th century, there was enough of a gap that meant old people asking little kids who were now more self-conscious than they would have been at that age mm. to do 
things that were like, oh, you know, like especially if they're asked, being asked to do it way too late into their childhood, mm-hmm. uh, it, it becomes something where it's like, okay, you you aren't getting that I am now too old for that shit. Um, but th- this, the infantilizing of little kids does seem to be something where it's like there's this sudden borderline which once you cross it you turn into this teenager it's, it's kind of like this whole episode is like you're either a little kid who does the lammy dance or you're a teenager and we hate you and there's nothing in between <laughs> yeah there's, there's also the fact i suppose that if you go back to them being old enough then there might even be a little bit of envy because they never got to be teenagers because their generation didn't really have teenagers holy shirt balls <laughs> uh, yeah, if you yeah. were if you were a teenager in the 1940s or beforehand, there was you weren't no really such a thing. teenager. Yeah, no, you were you, you were a working it, you, man. You, you got to get down got the enlisted mine, or you went to college. Absolutely. Yeah. And if they were old as hell in the 90s when homework was whack and so was rules, <laughs> then <laughs> that's the that that If their grandchildren are or the the. Uh, you know, the kids who are the age of their grandchildren in their neighbourhood are getting older and becoming teenagers, mm. then obviously that is going to be a sharp reminder of their own mm. ageing and mortality. But yeah, to corroborate your uh, um, your reading of it, uh, Lauren, he says, that's good girly dancing, boy, mm-hmm. to Dipper when mm-hmm. Dipper's done. But they're my friends. Isn't there anything I can do to help them? There is one thing. Do you know any funny little dances? Uh, is there anything else I can do? No! Okay, okay, okay! Um, well, I do know the Lammy Lammy dance. But, uh, but, but I can't really do it without a lamb costume. Oh, well, there it is. Well, who wants a lammy, lammy, lammy? I do, I do. So go up and greet your mammy, mammy, mammy. Hi there, hi there. So march, march, march around. Yes, yes, more, more. Don't, don't, don't you forget about the baby. That was some fine girly dancing boy. And then to reinforce your comments about you know, being teenagers, like, even that, it's, like, almost lampshades the artificiality of it when Wendy tells everybody else that Dipper beat up the ghost with a baseball bat. And they're just like, oh, way to go, Dipper. Like, it's it's all just smoke and mirrors. Like, Absolutely. it's just... And, and nobody says, hang on a minute, how do you beat up a ghost with a baseball bat? <laughs> Which would have been yeah. my first question. Um, Ghostbusters, the 2016 one, it's all about physical trauma True. to those ghosts. They True. whack the shit out of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's the ghost, you need a ghost baseball bat. It has to be the ghost of one. Made of ectoplasm. Yeah. So you get a baseball bat and break it. Yeah, well, you, you got to feed it into a wood chip. I think that ha- I think that's how you do yeah. it. I think that happened. Didn't that happen in uh, one of the Discworld books? Also, one last thing: the uh, Duchess approves uh, being a show that uh, Stan has to watch because he can't find the remote. This was 2012. Downton Abbey came out in 2010. I'm guessing this was like a, yeah. a reference yeah. to the fact that Downton Abbey was a wild hit in America. Almost certainly, mm. yes. Yeah. Come on, Grunkle Stan, pick up! Oh, what is he doing? I don't care about dukes or commoners or his royal highness Lionel of Cornwall. I'm not afraid anymore, mother. Duchess, I forbid you. I may be a duchess, but I'm also a woman! Yes! Yes! In your face, Elizabeth! 
<laughs> it's just like my life <laughs> in a way okay so the next one number six dipper versus manliness one of my favorites and uh, uh lauren's uh, reading which i had honestly never heard before uh, you know puts a whole new scope on it um but uh yeah this is one where dipper feels slighted he uh, he he tries to um do a strength test he's worried about you know be appearing masculine in front of wendy whose father then takes the same strength test and destroys the machine, which also gives everyone free pancakes. Uh, and so uh, he, he ends up going up on a mountain and he meets a Manotaur who takes him to the other Manotaurs and they're just this, like, the Manotaurs live in the man cave and they're all just sort of, like, working out and, and doing... Like, they're not horrible guys, but they no, are def- yeah. But it's, so, like, it's it's very well managed again. Like they're very careful to not make these manators detestable, but they are entirely riven with that. You know, this is what a man should be like. And Dipper doesn't immediately argue with them about it. In fact, Dipper's trying to learn from them, almost like it's a sport. Well, it, it's there are some elements to their behaviour which is extremely unpleasant, but because they seem to keep to their own group. Mm. There is sort of this, um, I was going to say unspoken, but it's not really unspoken, it's, it's right there, um, that they're, they're more obnoxious facets of their behaviour, uh, with one exception, is mostly negative for them. Yeah. And in terms of, of what it cuts them off from. But in, in that sort of, the repeating echo of what is a man supposed to be then... Um, the the whole scene with the strength test. One of the things that I I like about when when Manly Dan steps up and and does his thing with it is it's like well here's two elements of what a man is expected to be in society. He is both strong, and he is a provider because he gives everybody the free pancakes. Mm. Yeah. After a lot of punching, we have decided to deny your request to learn our manly secrets. Denied. <laughs> Denied. Okay. Fine, that's okay with me. Obviously, you guys think it would be too hard to train me. Maybe you're not man enough to try. What? Not man enough? Destructor. Not man enough? He didn't mean it. I have three Y chromosomes, six Adam's apples, packs on my abs, and fists for nipples! Seems to me you're scared to teach me how to be a man. Hey, do you guys hear that? It sounds like... Oh, that's... Weird. Is that? That sounds like. Yeah, a bunch of chickens. <gasps> I feel all weird. Is using some sort of brain magic. After a second round of deliberation, we have decided to help you become a man. Man, 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 man. Great. Thanks, guys. Whatever it is, I will not let you down. Something about this episode that I think kind of stands out is that it is one of two episodes in the series that Alex Hirsch does not have a writing credit on. Huh. And the fact that it fit, that it slots so well into everything else, where Hirsch did not actually, was not actually involved in the writing of it, says a lot about, I think, in this case, Tim McKean, hmm. uh, who wrote it. He also did he did several episodes of this. He's written for Adventure Time. He's, hmm. he's, he's got some really good stuff. It also doesn't delve too heavy into the mythology as a result, 
So instead, we get sort of this episode that is very much about both Dipper and Mabel. Mm. Because the B-plot of this is Mabel trying to make over Stan so that she so that he will be appealing to Lazy Susan, the diner owner. Played by Jennifer Coolidge, Stifler's mom. Yes. She's never um, going to escape from that role, is she? She's done so much <laughs> since then. Yeah. How am I related to that? Come on, Grunkle Stan. I'm sure deep down you have a soft side, too. Ha! Nothing in here but a cold, dark, empty soul. Food! Thanks there, sugar pot. I, I mean, honey, wasp, kitten baby, ba- baby cow. Ha ha! Silly! Silly man. What was that about? Nothing. I, uh, I don't want to talk about it. Talk about what? Why is this table wet? Wait just a second. I think I have an idea happening here. You... No! And her... Stop it! Ah! Oh, boy. You have a thing for Lazy Susan! You do have a soft side. But c- c- keep it down, will you? All right, I admit it, okay? It would be nice if she liked me, but I've been out of the game for so long I wouldn't know where to start. I mean, look at her. She's so classy. Spin, you dumb pie! Spin! Grunkle Stan... You are a cranky, gross, weird old man. But we will get Lazy Susan to like you because nothing is stronger than the power of... Love? Mabel. To victory! And and that B-plot, they contrast these two uh, plots where essentially the B-plot is saying that Stan's manliness is everything that is wrong with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that the biggest, his biggest problems are that he is supernaturally hairy. Keep on saying that hairy, uncle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. That tickles yeah. Sharon. That montage. Yeah. Oh, my God. That yeah, montage. And that song, overly yeah. literal sports montage from the 80s, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yeah, it, yeah, he's overly hairy, and he smells bad, and he doesn't take care of himself. Mm. You know, it's contrasting with Dipper, who is... You know, sticking his hand in the pain hole and having chest hair glued onto him. Mm. Trying and... to actively grow chest hair and eventually, like, it's, it's, he, uh, he grows one and then Mabel plucks it out. But it's, I suppose, yes, Stan is, as you describe him, like, if you just take all of this manliness to its ultimate extreme, it's what we're left with when we're old and sagging. All of this just sort of like, the funk of manhood. Just <laughs> yes. sorry, you got that to look forward to. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, one of my favorite gags in this is where they're holding the picture, the picture up in front of him, mm-hmm. in front of the camera, so that it's the before picture, and then they pull it away, and he looks worse. <laughs> <laughs> like he's slouching more. He's got flies buzzing around him. <laughs> His wet beater is stained. (laughs) More stained than it was before. This is going to take some really great training music. Your 
observation of um, Icelandic pop group Baba. Baba, this, yeah. yes. Is so funny as well. It's yeah. so on point. Listening to ABBA and enjoying it kind of ends up being the sort of the linchpin of this it's okay to like this and still, you know, and, and be a guy. Like, you don't have to reject everything feminine. Yeah, ABBA being obviously so tied in with uh, both the, the disco scene, which is the opposite of rock and therefore was decried by rockers and manly men, and obviously uh, with, with ABBA being, you know, heavy with the gay scene, was decried by heterosexuals. So it's like, when Dipper says pop songs are catchy for a reason, but also clearly there's something about disco girl coming through, that girl is you, uh, which appeals to Dipper. On a level which, you know, if you listen to ABBA songs, they have more than just the beats going for them. There's a reason why yeah. Mamma Mia means a lot to a lot of people. Oh yeah, and uh, the multi-bear is is not what I would consider to be a exhibiting any traditionally feminine traits mm. other than this love of Baba. Yeah, I think that's part of the point is that Dipper is realizing that you can, you know, this ferocious multi-headed bear... Still loves the thing that he loves, and that doesn't make it, you know, less of a male-presenting, multi-headed bear. <laughs> I don't know how to really phrase this, but it, do, you, do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, in this? Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Although the fact that that the multi-bear is multi-headed is another kind of element of that. You can have many different faces at the same time, and and oh. all of those. Faces are still elements uh, of you. Nice. Yeah, that's good. I didn't think of that. No real person is one note. Mm. Yeah. It, yeah. Everyone has at least some some depths, even they may be shallow, but everybody has depths and everybody, you know, you have things you like and things you don't like, and sometimes they're contradict or they seem contradictory. And sometimes they only make sense to you. Also, why would you chase being one note? I mean, I know it's quantifiable and easy to control, but it's it's not something to aspire to, surely. Well, you just said it. It's quantifiable and easy to control. There we go, then. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and and it's, it's, it's people wanting acceptance, and it's, it, many yes. times that's the way you do that. Yeah. And yeah, the it's, internet it's, likes it's to pure... pigeonhole things, and putting yourself in a pigeonhole is a really good way to make yourself quantifiable. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. pure social pressure most of the time. So the, the Manator's definition of what is what is manly is is all these things in a very tiny box. Mm. And if you anything outside of the box is not manly and therefore undesirable. Mm. And I've met these people. They exist. They're in my life whether I want them to be or not. And they are the most boring, one-note, tiresome, tedious people. And I can't have conversations with them because all they talk about is is their CrossFit, you know, and <laughs> uh, much like CrossFit I, Shrek. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Alex, Alex, how could you? But I, I, I want to mention that that read earlier that nobody's one note. Like that's a very generous read because much like Theo, I have met people who are one note, and not even in this way. Mm. Uh, I've met people who define their existence by a single trait, and that's all they know. Like, I work with people who are the researcher. Like, they are the professional. What do they do for fun when they're not at work? They do more work. I, I met I met a man who is a physician who doesn't deal with his family and doesn't raise his kids because it is outside his concept of what being a physician is. 
So like, uh, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, they're, Lord. I will say they have always been men that I have found that are one note, but that's a greater critique of our society and not hashtag, not all men, but uh, there's still definitely problems out there because people hashtag get away. too many men. Yes. It's it just, there are too many people out there who never had to, they never had the pressure to develop a personality. So they don't even know what, where to go about that. Well, maybe there are men out there who want to present in this one note way, but there's a secret garden they hide. <laughs> and I want those men to feel that they can come forth and explore that garden. Oh, this is crazy. Finally, someone who, who understands that. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm supposed to kill you or I'll never be a man. I accept my fate. No. Really? It's for the best. I'm not gonna do it. You were told the price of manhood is the multi bear's head. Listen, Leader R, all right? You too, Testosterone, Pituitor, and I don't know, whatever your name is, Beardy. It's Beardy. You keep telling me that being a man means doing all these tasks and being aggro all the time? But I'm starting to think that stuff's malarkey. <gasps> you heard me, malarkey. So maybe I don't have muscles or hair in certain places, and sure, when a girly pop song comes on the radio, sometimes I leave it on. Because dang it, top 40 hits are in the top 40 for a reason. They're catchy. Destructor, what are you saying? I'm saying the multi-bear is a really nice guy. And you're a bunch of jerks if you want me to cut off his head. <laughs> Kill the multi-bear or never be a man. And I guess I'll never be a man. Hey guys, who wants to go build something and knock it down? Most people are like, all they want is to be accepted, and if they can be accepted, they don't care. They're not, they're not willing to to look at themselves any deeper. They're like, nope, nope, I'm I'm just gonna be this person that fits in. I have acceptance. I'm fitting in. That's fine. That's I. I don't want to. I don't want to get to know myself just in case I find stuff that means I don't fit so well. Yeah, and that's the cornerstone of right wing radicalization. Oh God, I went there. No. Ah, we promised we no, would no. never be political again, Lauren. <laughs> you brought up CrossFit Shrek, Alex. So I'm <laughs> I planted the seed in the secret garden. Um, Okay, but but the end result of this is that uh, uh, Dipper goes against what everyone uh, uh, says and does what he thinks is right, which is, and that's the important thing, the whole I believe it's right thing and and stand to sort of uh, uh, just nonchalantly say, oh, it seems like you know pretty manly to me, is that it's it's a nice way of suggesting that ultimately this whole like be a man thing can you can possibly find a positive way of, of, of spinning that in terms of what is right. And that, that, that doesn't necessarily need to be like, you know, well, I, I want to do what you know, I've been told was right, but just what feels like the right thing to do. So it's, it, it's again, with all these pigeonholes. It, it actually reminds me a little bit of one of my favorite quotes from, of all things, Happy Days. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote the Fonz here. Being cool is knowing right from wrong and doing what's right with guts. Hmm. I think that applies here as well. Very well, warrior. 
But will you grant a magical beast one last request? Uh, okay. I wish to die listening to my favorite song. Tape is already in there. You can just hit any... Yeah, yeah, that's it. Press and hold. You listen to Icelandic pop group BABA? I, I love BABA. I thought I was the only one. All the Manators make fun of me because I know all the words to the song Disco Girl. Oh, you mean Disco Girl? Coming through. That, that girl, girl is you. you. Ooh, 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 ooh. ooh. School of Movies is supported by Patreon, and thank you very much to our $15 patrons who get credit every episode. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Haskell, Connor Kennedy, Angus Lee, Marty Huey, David Sheely, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky. Christopher Wolf, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, a new $15 sponsor, Frankie Punzi, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, tell me if I'm not, it might be Punzi. I definitely need to be told this because Lorraine Chisholm, who I've been pronouncing as Chisholm for years, only just corrected me. I'll get it right from now on, Lorraine, I swear. And we will be back with more Gravity Falls episodes in the coming weeks. But next week we return to our Steven Spielberg season with E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which I feel like Dipper saw the day he was born. mortal enemy? But he's so little. Ladies and gentlemen, it is such a gift to have you here tonight. Such a gift. I have a vision. I predict you will soon all say, aww. It came true. What? I'm not impressed. You're impressed. Hit it, Dad! Others can't see. It ain't some sideshow trick, it's a native ability. Where others are blind, I am futurely inclined. And you too could see if you was whittle on me. <laughs> Come on, everybody, rise up! I want y'all to keep it going. How did he keep it going? You wish your son would call you more. I'm leaving everything to my cats. <laughs> I sense that you've been here before. What gave it away? Come on, I'll read your mind if I'm able. Something tells me your name, Mabel. How'd he do that? So welcome, all ye, to the tent of telepathy. 
Bigger fraud than Stan. No wonder our uncle's jealous. Oh, come on. His dance moves were adorable. And did you see his hair? It was like, whoosh. You're too easily impressed. Yeah, yeah. Ich kann das nicht, 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 ich kann das nicht,